Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, and today we are continuing our series called Tell Us a Story, preaching through several of the Savior's parables later in Matthew's Gospel. Of course, you can read more about the series and find other outreach materials and coordinated resources at the Foundation at wellscongregationalservices.net. Joining us for this series, uh, Pastor Jay Zahn from Trinity in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and Pastor John Quinn from Beautiful Savior in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. And also with us today, uh, Professor Aaron Christie from here at the seminary. So uh, let's talk a little bit about this week in the Tell Us a Story series. John Quinn, uh, could you talk to us about kind of the weekly theme of uh, Proper 22? The foundation materials, you know, draws to that theme of patience that comes through really in every lesson from God's word for this Sunday. Um, talks about how patience is a virtue, and we certainly uh, see that in our world today. If somebody is impatient, we say, well, that's, that's not a good thing at, at all. Uh, somebody who wants instant gratification, we say, you know, good things come to those who wait. So impatience is certainly a problem. Patience is a virtue. But the question we look at today is, can somebody be too patient? Is it, 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 can you go too far and be too patient, the opposite of impatient? And is that a bad thing? And that, that word for the theme for this week about reckless patience sometimes has a negative connotation. And we're going to see that, especially as we look at God's patience and see, is, does God go too far? Is God too patient? Um, and it's really actually a beautiful positive thing because it's something we desperately need is God's God's patience and the extremes that God goes to um, in his patience for sinful people like us. There's certainly also a, a connotation of uh, judgment in the lessons from God's birthday this whole Sunday um, because we have to ask the question, does God's patience ever run out? And, and what happens if people take advantage of God's patience is there ever a point where god says this is this has gone too far and so we've got that element of of judgment too even though god's beautiful reckless patience his radical grace is just a wonderful thing for us to build our entire life on and leads to you know the proper response that god is is, is looking for um in his believers yeah thanks for that summary and yeah Check out the foundation resources for more on the, the theme of the day. Uh, but thanks, John, for kind of summarizing it for us. Uh, Jay, could we, Jay, go, to we go to you next? Thinking about the, thinking the, about gospel, the gospel of the day. Uh, we will, uh, excuse me, that'll be the sermon text for the day. But before we get to that, could you show us how the first and second reading uh, frame the day's gospel? Absolutely. Thanks, John. The, uh, Old Testament is Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, God singing of the uh, the people of Israel, the vineyard that he planted, and um, planting a vineyard is an exercise in patience. It's not something that produces fruit right away. So uh, to to invest in that kind of, of uh, endeavor is, is uh, anticipating patience. Um, and it's not just patience, but uh, the Lord actually invests fully in in. Uh, what he's planting in Israel, um, the people of Israel, the, the law, the prophets, uh, the promises, it's, it's, it's all there, a special relationship, unique relationship binds up his, 
salvation promises with this people. And uh, the, the striking thing in the song in Isaiah is uh, he expects, having done all that he's done, he expects good fruit, but he finds only bad. And um, it's a it's a pretty sobering message that uh, that he'll, in answer to the question, is there a time where God's patience runs out? That lesson leaves us there, where there's uh, uh, God's withdrawing or, or threatens to withdraw His His goodness uh, from the people of Israel. Uh, the the other lesson in Philippians, the second lesson, is is maybe the other side of that coin. Um, you think about the first lesson, uh, uh, an honest analysis of my own heart to my own life, uh, God's patience. I can see ways in which it's been wasted on me. I have not, I have not produced only good fruit, and so there, there are plenty of ways that I can uh, acknowledge and confess uh, that the Lord's patience has not accomplished fully in me, um, in terms of production of fruit, what what maybe He desired. Uh, Philippians three, though, maybe brings out the the other side of it, which is the the patience of God in the hearts of His believers is producing uh, something good, and and. It's kind of an interesting uh, tension when the Apostle Paul talks about becoming what we already are or attaining what we already have. Uh, that there's a there's a we've got it, but not yet. There's 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 room for progress, um, and and yet there's also a celebration of what God is doing. And so, uh, the goodness of God's patience gives me reason to continue to fight the good fight and to carry on. Yeah, thank you for those summaries. Um, yeah. Yeah, each of the readings, as is typical in the lectionary, of course, but it just kind of gives us a, a different angle on uh, the day's gospel. The Isaiah one, of course, very closely, but um, yeah, that Philippians uh, 3 reading is also interesting and uh, the perspective that it gives on the day's theme. Well, let's turn to the sermon text now. Um, the story, the parable that we're focusing on this week, Matthew 21, 33 through 43. Uh, Aaron, could you get our discussion started? What are some noteworthy points or insights for preachers in this text? I, I guess the first thing that really interests me is that this parable is, is set right in the middle of a, a trifecta of the rejection of God, his grace, his patience. A little bit earlier on, we're talking uh, Tuesday of Holy Week here is the backdrop uh, so the animosity of, of the elders of the people, Pharisees, Sadducees, priests, it is at the boiling point. You can cut the tension with a knife here. Um, earlier on in chapter 21, by what authority are you doing these things? Who is the authority uh, in this situation, Jesus, for you? And uh, Jesus, in answer to that question, uh, simply kind of bats the ball right back at them and in uh, refers to John's baptism, tell me where that came from. And then he, he goes further and begins telling, telling three parables. Um, the two sons, first of all, out in the vineyard, uh, one who said, Dad, I'm not going to work for you, and eventually did. And then a son that says, I will work for you, uh, but didn't. Uh, lo and behold, Jesus is there in, in Jerusalem, the capital city of God's people, the religious center of God's people, and, and yet the, those who proposed to be sons of God uh, were regularly not doing what the Father said. Following this parable, we have the parable of the wedding banquet. 
uh, where there there are those that are invited to the royal wedding banquet and the the uh, fattened cattle has has been slaughtered and yet the people are not willing. Sandwich right between uh, those two parables is the parable we have of the vineyard, a parable of contractual obligation where it just it's not rocket science. It makes perfect sense. Uh, that of course the owner of the vineyard is going to get some of the fruits of the vineyard for the rent, but the the tenants of that vineyard they were not willing. And then you've got that <clears throat> refrain again and again of God sending servants, God sending more servants, um, beating, stoning, and ultimately God uh, in an ultimate act of of saving patience, being willing to send His Son. Uh, certainly, they they would be ashamed of of their rejection when God's Son comes and and uh, confronts them and asks for God what is due God, and yet they uh, rejoice at that opportunity to throw Him out of the vineyard and kill Him. I have a passage that came to my mind: uh, Isaiah sixty five verse one and two. I revealed myself to those who did not ask me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here I am, here I am, and here it is. All day long I've held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their imaginations. Uh, what a picture that is of God standing in the marketplace, uh, hands out, offering the goodness of his grace, uh, all day long, willing to make himself a, a gracious fool, uh, and yet the people are are rejecting. I guess a, a second thought, uh, when I look back in how I've handled this text, I, I last time I preached this text, it was in uh, the year 2004, and uh, I'm happy to report that I may have grown a little bit as a homiletician in the last 18 years. Um, I'll, I'll reveal that wonderful theme I came up with uh, as a rookie preacher a little bit later. Uh, but suffice it to say, I began trying to preach on Matthew 21, the parable of the vineyard here. And what I ended up doing was swerving over and uh, unbeknownst to me, as I look back on it, I ended up preaching uh, a sermon on the vineyard song of Isaiah chapter 5. And those aren't the same thing. Uh, you'll notice in both of them, uh, there is a vineyard being planted. There are no workers in Isaiah 5. There are workers here in, uh, in Matthew chapter 21. Uh, but in Ma Isaiah 5, the real issue is the fruitfulness of the vineyard itself. And then here in Matthew chapter 21, the issue is the refusal to give the fruits uh, that the Lord is, is owed as a result of his loving faithfulness to his people. And so those are, those are subtly different, uh, Isaiah 5 from Matthew 21. And uh, I uh, definitely blurred that subtle distinction uh, the last time I preached this back in Northern Illinois in 2004. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. There, there are subtle differences. I mean, I think it's uh, doubtless Jesus had in mind the imagery of the vineyard from Isaiah's song uh, in chapter 5 as he spoke this parable, but right, it, it is a different spin on it. it it's a different emphasis. Uh, maybe we can talk about that more as we go along. Uh, and preachers, I'm sure, have uncovered some of those differences in their text studies too. Um, well, let's talk about uh, law and gospel themes in the reading. Um, 
probably laws most prominent, though I guess John has kind of referred to this also. We we've got some beautiful gospel here too. And Aaron, you have too. Uh the the gospel that um comes in response to the the scandalous behavior here in the parable. But let's first talk about kind of a malady. How do you present this to your people and to your listeners? Um, what is the the chief sin problem here in the text, and how do you express that to modern day listeners? Uh, thoughts on that, um, John? Would you like to start us off? Sure. I think maybe as we think about the purpose of the sermon, that helps to bring that in. You know that there's a warning here about rejecting God's patience. And there's an encouragement here to respond properly to God's patience with faith and, and fruit. And so, so one of those, well, when you think about the, the maladies here, the, you know, what the law is getting at, you think about the audience um, and the audience are these religious leaders as, as Aaron mentioned, um, who are just constantly rejecting Jesus. And it's reaching, as he mentioned, the boiling point here. And God's patience is about to run out with them. And essentially, they want to have the vineyard, but they want to have it on their own terms. They want to have it their own way. And they're forgetting about how God actually gives the vineyard. The only way to get the vineyard is, is on his terms. His terms are great, which we can look at when we get to the gospel, but it's the only way to have it. And so where do we see that? Where do we see that today? Um, I think there's people that want heaven or the equivalent of it or whatever it is out of this life. And we're a people today that want it on our own terms. You know, we want to be, we want, I mean, essentially everybody wants to be their own little God and decide how things work in, in life. And so when somebody else comes along and, and actually is God and we're the owner and we're, we're tenants, then we're, could be hostile um, to that um, in our own personal lives as Christians. You know, if we think about the rejection of the tenants of all the servants that come, or we think of the rejection of the, the people of Israel, of all the prophets that come, um, how do we, you may have a question, a law question ask is where do we refuse to listen to God's messengers and God's messages in our life? Because, we want to be the bosses of our lives and we want to ignore that part of God's word that speaks against us in whatever we think or whatever we say or whatever we're doing right now. Right. So wanting God to act on our terms instead of on his own terms and insisting on that. Uh, other thoughts related to the, the, the law issues in this text, Jay. I think there's a, we'll be in the fall of the year. So there's a tends to be a natural stewardship time for the church and and one of those ways in which I think there's a, a, a law emphasis is uh, not only do we want it on our terms, but but almost like it's it's our we're, we're owners, it's ours, and therefore um, the giving back to God is how many how many times is it approached as optional, um, and and only if I feel like it, as opposed to something that when when we understand. Uh, what we've been given, the investment that's been made in us, the uh, the patience that's been afforded us, the opportunity to respond with a heart of thanksgiving. Um, I've used as a as a illustration with with children on Christmas morning. If your if your parents give you a gift and you stand and complain or punch them in the nose, uh, 
that that hardly expresses appreciation. It shows rather a sense of entitlement. And and you see some of that kind of attitude flowing out of the out of the the, the people who were given the privilege of working in this incredible vineyard. Uh, but when it came time to express appreciation for that privilege, it wasn't there. Good thoughts, Aaron. Yes, <clears throat> maybe summing up a little bit of of what I heard the brother say uh, that thought that God's patience, as we experience God's patience, we don't always think of that as this is another day of God's grace and favor, uh, but we kind of experience sometimes God's patience as permissiveness. Um, it's it's really kind of all about me. Is is God really serious? about what he says. He can't be that serious about what he says because he sends a servant and we can can batter that one and he sends another servant and he and we can bloody that one and in God's patience just keeps moving right along. And so that that permissive feeling that we have to do what we want really at the end excises uh excises or God from his vineyard. Um is God really serious about what he says? Uh, we're pretty willing to let God be our coach and give us some good advice every now and then when we feel like we need good advice. Uh, but when the prophetic word is spoken and we're not in a mood to listen to it, uh, that's never going to uh, going to put us in, in good stead when it comes to our relationship with, with our God. Uh, it's a it's a powerful powerful warning that Jesus is preaching here. Uh, his his grace, his patience with us. Uh, that is not permissiveness uh, for our sinful nature to keep doing what it's doing. Uh, otherwise, we're going to end up like the uh, the uh, teachers of the law that Jesus spoke this against. Uh, that end up eventually asking their answering their own question uh, by whose authority do you do this. Uh, well, ultimately, they they answered you that question with he's going to bring those wretches to a wretched end. Uh, and they themselves, I, I guess, provided their own noose, spiritually speaking. Yeah. Uh, an additional angle I thought of kind of as we think about the law in this text is that in the parable, you know, it's if you know how that you might have to explain how kind of the tenant farm system works, you know, the landowner lets people work the land, live there, make a living off the land. But it's reasonable since he owns the land to say, I, I just want to share. This is the rent. This is a reasonable expectation. Um, but they don't give it to him. And can we say, uh, if we recognize God has created us, actually given us life, uh, actually redeemed us, um, isn't it reasonable that we acknowledge him? Um fear, love, and trust in him, um, yet, you know, we, turning our, our own way or turning inward on ourselves, we say, I, I don't want to give him anything uh, like that. Um, this is all about me. So getting back to that sense of entitlement that we've mentioned and, and refusing to listen to his calls. Um, John? And just building on that point, you think of all of the upfront costs, all of the overhead is the owners he's more invested than anybody else and so just to bring that picture fully in you you know the details jesus puts in there about the preparation of the vineyard and the patience that's needed there and all the work that goes into that costs a ton it costs him a ton and you tenant farmers are walking into a great situation here so mm -hmm. just that that crossover point there and the, the actual blessings that god gives 
to everyone in this world up front um, and a response to him, ignoring a response to him is tragic. Yeah, to be on the receiving end of all those blessings that were there even before uh, anyone got into the vineyard, uh, but then to say that they, they mean nothing to me um, uh-huh. as I think about a response. Um, all right. How about uh, gospel in the parable? As we've noted, this is a strong warning. I mean, that's kind of the, the main thrust of the parable, but we've also hinted at, I think, some gospel themes too. Uh, where do you go uh, to express the gospel um, in a, a way unique to this text? Jay? So I think the theme of patience is gospel. Um, mm-hmm. What what owner would respond the way this one does? Right. Uh, and, and that and not just once, but multiple times, and puts up with just horrendous treatment. Uh, that that is that's unbelievable uh, that he would do that. There's gospel too in the the I think in the, the environment that he provides, the investment that he makes, which draws some thoughts from the uh, Isaiah passage or Isaiah section. But uh, um, when when you think about how how not permissive, but giving them every opportunity to come around and see that what they did was, was off, um, that they were, they were completely wrong is an extraordinary example of grace. Mm. So the patience, he just keeps sending, he just keeps sending and calling out to them. Aaron. Uh, I think there's a, a certain ascent of the personages that he sends. Also, he sends the servant, another servant, another servant, uh, all of them ambassadors of of the owner of the vineyard. Um, the prophets, of course, sent to God's people, sometimes heard, usually rejected. And Jesus is going to put that all in their in their lap um, a little bit later on with this famous "Woe to you, teachers of the law, uh, that all the blood of the prophets is is upon them." I think a, a beautiful, beautiful gospel um, hook here is found in the parallel account of Mark chapter 12, where St. Mark emphasizes the sending of the son. It's almost like uh, Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac, your, your son, your only son whom you love. Right there it is in Mark chapter 12, verse 6. He had one left to send, a son. And then here's the words, whom he loved. And that God was was truly willing at the at the end of all of that sending of the prophetic word, uh, he was willing to send one more, his son, his son whom he loved, uh, to speak once in and for all. Picking up, we're looking ahead to the book of Hebrews in the last times. Yeah, uh, John, picking up on that. A lot of the commentators mention and commentators on parables in particular sometimes mention that the the point of the story that seems the most far-fetched is perhaps a point of emphasis and so you you see in a parable that it's something that people could say every day these are things that happen but you get to this point of sending the sun and you say that well that would that would that's ridiculous who would do that you know why would who in the world would do that he at this point he should be sending in a SWAT team, not his son. No way. And then, but this guy, this owner, sends his son. And isn't there something, and I think it's beautiful, the only son, right? The one he loves. And what's his rationale? His rationale is, they will respect my son. 
you know, and the word has something to do with shame, with being, you know, I'm too ashamed to act a certain way to this person who's so kind and so nice and so vulnerable, like in, in the kind of way that I wouldn't want to do something that would bring disrespect to like my grandfather. I wouldn't want him to think less of me. I wouldn't want to let him know that I did something stupid so that he would, because I respect him so much. And I mean, I think what it's getting at and it breaks away from the, from the image of the parable is that um, it's not so much that God is an investor who's after his profit as much as, He's a father who's after his children. And he wants the tenants because there is ultimately you step outside the parable, there is children. They'll respect my son. He wants a he wants a relationship with them. And he his patience goes to the point of what we would call recklessness because he's willing to risk and give up everything just to have them as his, to have that respect, which means he wants, you know, I'll I'll empty my heart and my heaven so that we can have a relationship and he's willing to, he's willing to do that because of his, his great love. Yeah. So the, the reckless patience of, of God continuing to do that. Yeah. Aaron, you mentioned before I, I stand and hold out my arms to an obstinate people. So that similar thought here, I keeps the, the landowner keeps sending, keeps sending and keeps sending to the point of uh, yeah, th- this is, this is insane. Um, there's the reckless patience that uh, I think really expresses the gospel in a unique way here. Uh, further thoughts about law gospel applications um, can open it up to other things that might be helpful to preachers. Uh, Jay? One of the things that's interesting is you get in the mind of, of uh, unregenerate heart. If we get rid of the son, then then it'll be ours as though suddenly the, the ownership yeah. claim is now, is now up for grabs. It makes it makes zero sense. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And yet they they've given themselves fully over to that thought, which shows just how how far gone in their hearts and their minds they are. The other I think that's interesting and and had come across this point, um, which is cultural the 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 idea of a shame honor culture that the the one who's truly uh, the higher power makes himself utterly vulnerable. And and I think John was alluding to that, the, the, the shame of, of treating this person this way, that, that to send the son was a way of bringing in the, in the strongest possible terms, what they were doing and bringing it to their, bring it to their attention. I think this is, this is such gospel uh, so that they would, it's like a mirror looking back at them. What have we done? And, and they still don't see it. Right. Right. Yeah. That shame honor culture. I think that is a unique aspect here too. If you've ever studied that or read about that, or there's lots of resources available, but from that cultural background, um, it's not even so much the transaction, you know, that they owe me rent and they're not paying me rent. It's uh, yeah. Those honor aspects that are involved in the story here too. Uh, Aaron, additional thought. In verse 41 there, what do they call it? A paranomasia, kakus kakos. Uh, those those evil ones to a to a wretched end. Um, did they know what they had become in their in the mirror spiritually uh, that they're describing themselves there? Uh, thinking of what what Jay talked about, you know, the unregenerate heart. They don't doubt that uh, uh, Jesus can do some pretty amazing things. By this time, uh, John chapter eleven and the raising of Lazarus. That's in the rearview mirror, uh, but that's 
you know, that's, that's in the context here. And they don't doubt that Jesus had raised up a man from the dead, four days dead. And yet, what is the response that they come up with uh, that, well, uh, we got to get rid of this Jesus and we got to re-kill Lazarus. <laughs> and this is all in that, all in that mix. Um, so, so far gone are their hearts. So twisted is their mind uh, that all we got to do is get over this one last hurdle. Uh, God's loving claim on us in his son, and then it's then it will all be ours. And so worldly is their viewpoint, and so uh, uh, such a God is their stomach uh, by that point. Mm-hmm. John? Just yeah, to that point again with that, you know, what's really behind the malady here of people wanting to have it their own way or you know wanting to have the inheritance, but then completely ignoring how the inheritance is is given. Um, why do people want control? Uh, maybe the question is nagging, if there is a God, can I trust him? What's God like? And that's the, that's the doubt going all the way back to the garden, right? They knew Adam and Eve knew God and Satan comes and says, but can you trust him? Or is he keeping something good from you? Mm. Um, and, and so I can't trust him. So I've got to control everything in my life. And then you look at his reckless patience and you look at the story and you look how Jesus lays that all out and you say, can you trust him? Can you trust him? You'd be a fool not to trust him. The mm-hmm. most reckless thing you could do is not trust this God who has demonstrated over and over again that his grace is radical, that his patience is just, it seems to know no bounds. And it's its more than foolish. It's more than reckless to not trust this God. It's actually deadly. And that's what Jesus brings out in the final words, right? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone, whichever you, you choose. Ultimately, the picture is the same. That you're going to be you're going to be crushed here if you reject him. You're, if your response to God's luckless patience is to despise that patience, it only means destruction. If you fall on that big stone or the big stone falls on you, the stone's not going to be hurt. And if they kill Jesus, it's, it's only accomplishing it's only accomplishing God's ultimate purpose. But their rejection, their rejection, they're going to be crushed. And so here he is on that last week of his life, pleading, even with his enemies, you know, receive me, respond to me in the right way with fruit and faith. You can, because the cornerstone is something you can actually build your life on. Um, And he comes to sinners like that. Um, And that's what Paul wrote to the Romans, right? While we were sinners, this is the kind of God we have. He comes to us with what we desperately need. And look at what kind of gracious and patient God he is and respond respond accordingly and it, it, one of the applications is appropriation really you got it you got to trust him i mean there's there's no other way it would be foolish it would be reckless not to here's one you can build your life on yeah yeah jay i also think it's interesting uh if, if i get burned uh my my natural tendency is to kind of pull back within myself if nobody else is going to do it we're not going to do this together i'll do it myself and and yet God is not the God who says, well, I'll just do the vineyard all on my own. He goes looking for additional tenants. And I think that's kind of an interesting thought mm-hmm. um, that, that his heart remains open and mm-hmm. that, that he's reaching to people who uh, converted, respond back in kind. And and that is, as believers, uh, that that one of the things that that as we look at our hearts, as we examine our hearts, uh, that the and not only is it reckless not to trust him, but the the greatest richness comes from trusting him. That 
the, the stone the village rejected, rejected has become the cornerstone, the capstone, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The, the, the response of God's redeemed people is what, what an awesome God we have. And, and that I get to produce fruit for him. I can't imagine anything better to do with my life than that. And, and, and how awesome that is that he would, would, uh, lay his eyes on me, open this opportunity up for me and, and share his heart with me. Mm -hmm. What more could I possibly want to do than that? Yeah. 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 Great point. This, this is, uh, again, God in his grace, uh, enabling us to trust him and produce fruit. Yeah. This is joy for us too. Uh, not just, uh, not just for him, but also joy and, and fulfillment for us as we live in that relationship with him. Uh, further thoughts, but applications, others, uh, John? Just kind of building off that as far as applications go, if an application can be patience and what that'll look like in our lives, if you know what we see in God fills us and comes out in our life, maybe some of the applications for patience would be, since I can trust that God who's so patient with me, it means whatever happens in my life, whatever he allows in my life, I'll be patient with him, right? That whatever God sends, I know I can trust him because look at his love, look at his grace. He wouldn't even spare his only son, which means I can trust him in everything. So whatever happens in my life, I know he's not leaving me. He's not abandoning me. He's allowing it for my good. I can trust him. So I can be patient through whatever I have to endure. Mm. And then that patient overflows in our lives to others too, that patience you know, that we'd have as a, in a family of believers, the way we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we'd be extremely patient with them. Um, that, that in the church, people who are, you know, totally different from each other can, can be together and be, it's a community of, of grace and patience. And then how that applies to those outside the church too. Um, you think about the audience, you think about the, the religious leaders who write all these other people off the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners and, and, what do we want to demonstrate? We don't want to be like that, like a church that's known for condemning sin, but a church that's known for this is a place of grace and it's the only place of salvation. And that doesn't mean that, you know, it's a place where God's word of grace is heard. It doesn't mean that God's word doesn't admonish when it needs to be admonished. It doesn't mean doesn't convict where conviction needs to take place, but ultimately it's a word of comfort. And that, and that a response and application would be that the heart of Jesus who still is reaching out to his enemies who want him dead in the last week of his life on earth would be our heart as we look at people who are outside of the kingdom right now. And we want to win them and woo them with the gospel to God's kingdom and, and show them a God that, that maybe they don't understand that he's, he's not a God who condemns, but he's a God who's patient and, and gracious and loving. Yeah. Yeah. Emulating that patience, uh, that longing for more people to be in that uh, loving relationship with God, too. Aaron? At the risk of having the brothers preach the gospel and then me swerve back into the law, I, I think it's, it's helpful maybe to also consider uh, that if, if God's patience will not be fruitful unto my salvation, then God's patience ultimately will be fruitful unto my judgment. Uh, the old Germans of Benton Harbor, where I vickered, uh, had an old proverb, the basic translation is the mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly crab, exceedingly fine. Uh, that, that stone falls, the, the people are crushed. Um, at the end of Isaiah chapter five, the Lord, uh, the Lord really 
um, takes it out in a bad way upon his vineyard as he deconstructs and rips up uh, everything that he had so carefully built by his grace. And the same thing ultimately would happen a generation later uh, to those some of those people that Jesus is speaking here to, the, the religious elite of his day, Rome would come. And having stood there at the base of Temple Mount at the Wailing Wall, you realize that all that's all that's left of that uh, uh, that structure that they they so very very loved is is a few of the foundation stones that the Romans couldn't quite rip down. Um, that the Lord really is serious um, when He speaks about His patience, indeed having a limit, and uh, it's not going to go well with those. Uh, who want to be on the wrong side of God's grace. Right. Yeah, that, and that that we mentioned is kind of a, there's a warning tone throughout the parable, especially given the original context of it, and these days before, the days before they would kill the son, um, right, and, and a, a final call to them. I suppose that warning, though, is, is itself an act of love, too, that that Jesus would be speaking this parable to those who have already really rejected him uh, and the one who sent him, uh, but he's still, still reaching out to them, still calling out to them with words of warning, uh, bringing to mind the, the reckless patience of God who is still calling out. Jay? And kind of jumping on that thought, John, too, that the, when we think about our uh, people in our own lives, in our own circles, who have have been resistant or or um, re rejecting of the message. There's probably a lesson in that for us in terms of our 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 outreach willingness. Um, that that uh, if we're reflecting the heart of our God, um, we're maybe at times too quick to to knock the dust off our sandals and move on. And and maybe maybe it's a, a challenge also to us to to reconsider. Uh, to to um, give another opportunity uh, that Jesus, even as he's heading to the cross, days away is still is still reaching out, is still is still earnestly seeking, and who of us couldn't use that encouragement as well? Yeah, yeah. How about theme ideas? Uh, could we hear some? I guess Aaron, now is the time to hear the theme idea. Uh, oh, it was it was so bad. Anyway, <laughs> um, what I did way back when was learn the lesson of the vineyard, part one, a lesson of grace, part two, a lesson of rejection, part three, a lesson of persistence. Uh, but I realized as I look back, I really started preaching Isaiah chapter five instead of the gospel lesson halfway through part two. So my encouragement, brothers, is don't do that. <laughs> right. Uh, other, I other ideas. Uh, <laughs> themes or, or central thoughts or uh, how to express that, John? I think, uh, you know, perhaps an illustration that leads to a theme that brings out the truth of the text. The foundation materials talk about how patience is a virtue, and we could maybe point that out in life, how we've got examples of people being impatient and how that's bad, but then have the questions like are in the materials about being too patient, you know, not addressing a health issue, things like that which would highlight the fact that patience is a virtue. It's a good thing, but it's not necessarily easy to get it right, that we go one too far or the other. And then we look at God's patience and say, does God get it right? And maybe instead of patience is a virtue, a theme could be patience is divine. Um, and and then for parts, why, why we also desperately need that, why we need it, divine patience, what happens to those who despise it, 
and then finally how to build our lives on it. Mm-hmm. So emphasizing the, you know, that patience, we see this divine patience, the patience that only belongs to our gracious God and um, why we need it. There's the admonition Aaron was talking about the warning of, well, here's what happens if you, if you reject it, if you despise it, look what he does. Um, and then how do you actually build your life on that, you know, drawing that image of the, the cornerstone that Jesus uses at the end. Right, right. Thanks for that idea. Yeah. Uh, Jay, any suggestions or ideas you're working with? It's the, uh, I was I was working on an alliterative one, uh, responding as a repentant renter. Um, the, the, uh, the problem I think that, that the renters had, the tenants had is that, uh, why didn't they want to return? Why didn't they respond appropriately to the to the um, request of the landowner for his due, which was part of the contract which had been laid out at the very beginning? None of this was a surprise. Uh, so how did they get to that place in their own hearts and in their own minds? Uh, how do we get there? We focus on all that we're doing, what we're doing for God, the effort we had to put in, the sacrifices we had to make, the uh, the things that that um, we went above and beyond for, and and we start to fill ourselves with thoughts like, not gratitude to God, but He should be grateful for us. Uh, if if anybody owes anybody, He owes me, not me owing He. And and the 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 repentant renter recognizes uh, I'm I'm not the owner, I'm the renter. So it's a it's a privileged position I've been invited into, and. That that it's it's because it's not my own. The opportunity to return to the one who has given me the environment, has given me the resources, and has given me the opportunity, is a great privilege. Um, it, it, so I need to focus in not on myself and what I'm doing, but in on him and what he's like and and what he's provided and and the the kind of part he has for me. Uh, so kind of bringing those two mm-hmm. things in tension out. Right. Right. Yeah, thanks for those ideas. I think those will be helpful as as men work on preaching this text. Uh, final thoughts, uh, Aaron? Say if I could venture just maybe a, a bit of a personal application as a pastor. Uh, if Isaiah deals more with the general fruitfulness of God's people, uh, then doesn't the parable of the tenants speak in a special way to the leaders of God's people and the peculiar faithfulness uh, that is called uh, or expected from them. Uh, the thought being, it was a, in studying this text, it was a great gut check for me uh, that Word and Sacrament Lutheran ministry is always done for the greater glory of Christ and for the salvation of his people. Um, and we say that, and on my best days, I mean it, but boy, have there been plenty of days in ministry Uh, where that day wasn't spent necessarily to the greater glory of God and the salvation of his people. Uh, But in a a certain way, a worldly sense, uh, my sinful nature got in there and it it became a little too much about me or a whole lot about me. uh, And that that is is law and gospel that I desperately need to hear um, as one who's called to work in the Lord's vineyard. Yeah. Forgetting who owns the vineyard forgetting who uh, enables us to produce fruit, forgetting uh, for whom it's intended. Yeah, right. Yeah. Good personal application for preachers uh, as they meditate on this text. Great. Well, all right. Let's close there for today. And um, 
thank you for listening. And we hope to uh, be with you next time as we continue with another parable of Jesus uh, next time from Matthew 22. The Lord be with you, preachers, as you work on this text and proclaim his word of reckless patience.